The trials and tribulations of Trump. It's a possible three-peat. That's right. It's indictment season. I'm Matt Robeson. It's Beyond Politics, the podcast that's available wherever you get your podcasts, which includes the Blue Amp channel on YouTube. Joined, as always, by our panel of former Democratic U.S. Congressman Paul Hodes and, of course, our conservative commentator, analyst, and consultant, Alicia Preston. This is, we're in a vortex here, people. We are in a vortex. I was going to be all excited. It's like Donald Trump might be indicted again. This, the third one, there's a joke in the X-Men series where they, in the third movie installment of the series, they make a little meta humor where they say, yeah, the third one's always the weakest. I got to say, this is like the least surprising, but this does not feel like it's the weakest. Paul, I think if, unless you've been living under a rock, people probably have heard the basic details. Jack Smith, special prosecutor, likely going to bring charges against Donald Trump coming out of January 6th. Your legal and political reaction to this not all that surprising bombshell. This week in Trump. So remember, it wasn't that long ago that there were many on the left wringing their hands saying, oh, he'll never be indicted for the big Megilla for the January 6th conspiracy. It'll never happen. Democracy is down and soon he'll be the dictator. And he's facing now a barrage of legal trouble. And what a target letter from federal prosecutors does is it says, hi, you're a target of our federal investigation. And we invite you to come into the grand jury and spill your guts so that we can we can hammer home that we're about to indict you. And that's what generally a target letter means. And the defendant, of course, says, thank you, but I'm not going into the grand jury to say anything to the grand jury. I'll just sit here and wait for the indictment. Can I ask you a dumb question there from are a legal no standpoint? Questions. Oh, you haven't heard the kids that my kids I questions on vacation. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see if we can disprove that. It's a long <laughs> podcast. So wait, Paul, what this sounds like to me is, let's say you were going to break up with someone and let's say you were a jerk and you were going to break up with them by letter. And let's say first you sent them a letter that said, dear loser, you're about to go to Dumpsville, population you. That's what this feels like. It's a pre-dumping letter. Why is this legally necessary? Is this just to taunt the target? Is there a legal reason why you do this? Or is it just to be cruel? That's a good, that's a good question. I, you guys uh, all sit around the prosecutor's office, like cracking yourselves up. Well, I I was a state prosecutor and we did not send target letters out. We were impolite. We simply indicted the SOB, the federal. I don't know the answer to that question. I don't think it's in the stat. It might be in the law and it might be a policy and practice. I'm going to, I'm going to, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hit the sisters-in-law. I'm going to hit Barb McQuaid, Joyce okay. Vance. Let's try, um, hang on. Let's try and go. Okay. Our- Paul is going to go ad- do a legal deep dive. Alicia, your reaction. Get in on this. Are you like, you're a not in favor of Trump? I don't want to say a never Trump. You're a not in favor of Trump Republican. H- how are you doing? You feeling good? You feeling bad? You don't give a shit anymore? Look, I never feel good when we're looking at what we're looking at in this country, which is a former president who's going to potentially be indicted yet again. I'm not someone who's going to cheer because I don't like Donald Trump because I think this whole thing is bad for the country because I think he's bad for the country. And I don't think it was a huge surprise. Watching some legal analysts, they say, in layman's terms, if you answer the question, did Donald Trump incite what happened on January 6th? And we'll say yes, but in legal terms, that's harder to prove. We don't know what the indictment's going to say. Last time it was announced he was going to be indicted. They said there'll be 13 counts. 
and there were like 37 this time. The target letter says there are three statutes referenced as to what the indictment may cover. It's still a little bit of a wait and see. And it's interesting to note that Donald Trump sent out a fundraising letter last night on these charges. He's making bank on it. He's using it to make money. Could you, could you help the rest of us? Because you're in a rare position among our like listener and viewer audience that you actually are on Trump's list. I would bet that you are in the 0.1th percentile of that. Did he say anything interesting or was it standard like Trump gobbledygook? It's a standard Trump gobbledygook, the witch hunt. The, I got several because there are third party groups that send it. There are other people that send it. Several of them said it's the prosecutorial misconduct or going after his political primary, Biden going after his primary political opponent and donate to this group, donate to that group, donate to Trump's PAC. He's raising money off of it, but he's got to be worried. If you saw that statement he released yesterday, he announced, by the way, so that everyone, the only reason we know about this is because Donald Trump told us. So he did this. He got the notification on Sunday. He announced it to the world yesterday morning, I think it was, so that we would all know so he could raise money. That's what this is about. He all right, can I ask you a strategic guys. communications you are a strategic communications consultant, one of the hats you wear, none of them being a red one that says make America great again. So let me ask you this, not to step on our second story, which is the attempted DeSantis reboot, because things have not been going well for him. So DeSantis was attempting a reboot. He got a, he did a live interview with Jake Tapper on CNN. And it just so happens that Trump drops this news like to coincide with DeSantis's big media moment intentional? Was that deliberate? Trump's campaign claims no. Do you think that was yes? I think it was possibly so. I think it was also, let's not forget on the same day, the Michigan Attorney General indicted, I think, 19 people, 16, 16, 16. people for false as false electors. So there was a lot going on and he was headed to a rally. And look, maybe he needed to have a little infusion of cash that day. Hey, here's a good day to up those fundraising numbers. Who's got pizza money? <laughs> I don't know why. He, who knows what goes on in the mind of Donald Trump? True. I just, can I just share a million dollar idea? I want to get the legal answer to my first dumb question before. Can I just give a million dollar idea in the meantime? You want to raise some money? Let's call the people at the Children's Television Workshop, okay? This needs to be an episode of Sesame Street to explain to children what's happening with our former president. And what we need is the count. Because when you were suggesting before, Alicia, there are three statutes that are involved here, but we don't know how many counts. We've got 30 five or 37 counts in New York, 30, 37 counts in New York, 41 counts in the classified documents case. We don't know how many. Can't you just see the count like, we have one felony. We have uh, one uh, felony. Uh, 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 three fe hey, is he Transylvanian or like old Jewish man? He is like, Transylvanian. Like, no, he's Transylvanian. Transylvanian. Three and count count the seven counts. Paul, what's the answer to my dumb question now that you've had no, some Lexus No target letter is required. This oh, it's not required. So they're literally just throwing shade at They're just like, we <laughs> invite you to incriminate yourself? Is that what they're doing? Yeah, sure. Look, yeah, it's, most indictments happen without target letters people are just indicted and they're in a way and away we go but trump trump is different so it's donald trump and they're giving him a chance come in and spill your schwitz because you know it's okay i actually think they should this is a former president of the united states of america who is not a flight risk because everyone knows where he is at all times let him know you're getting also you can't, he can't like, move very fast have you seen right. him waddle up a hill at a golf course just the oh, fact he was given no, notification no, no. in four days to testify yeah, I, I, if he chooses I, he, I, I think that's okay actually i'm gonna stop being silly and be like half serious for a second i think this is a point you've raised before alicia that 
we have to recognize that these are special circumstances and that means giving added deference and so i'm going to interpolate what you're saying here paul which is that it's not required for federal prosecutors but they give potential defendants the opportunity when you're going to bring an indictment to come in and maybe give one last chance to reconsider. And I that actually does seem appropriate to me. We are, after all, for all that we like to dunk on Trump, we are talking about a very weighty matter, which is indicting a former president of the United States. It seems totally appropriate to me that you would get, the prosecutor would give him the opportunity to bring new information, to make exculpatory claims and to otherwise forestall. Who knows, Jack Smith might reconsider the charges that he brings if Donald Trump could provide some good explanations. I think just giving a prima facie opportunity to get yourself, what, disintrubulate yourself. That makes sense. Disintrubulate. I like that, disintrubulate. Disintrubulate. It's a perfectly cromulent word. Now, guess what? It never happens. Anybody who's in target, their lawyer, they send it to their lawyer who says, what, you think I'm dumb? I'm going to let you walk into the grand jury and either plead the fifth and look dumb and waste my time. You can. I'll sit outside the grand jury room if you want to plead the fifth for hours on end. You can pay me $750 an hour. Or you could just not go because that's the stupidest idea I ever heard of. Let me ask you this, Paul. Never lose their mind. Let me ask you this, Paul. Is this potentially... Do because of something their target says. If it has happened, it is exceedingly rare. So, Paul, is it possible that Jack Smith is doing this essentially as a public relations move because he's savvy enough to realize that part of the deal here is how the public is going to receive this. And so he wants the talking point. He wants the ability to say, we gave Donald Trump every last chance to explain himself before bringing the charge. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. That doesn't really excite me as a theory, because, except for the fact that it's Donald Trump. In the ordinary course of target letters, they're not filed with the court. They're not made public. They just go to the, they go to the defendant who gives it to his lawyer. In the ordinary course, defendants don't say, hey, I got a target letter. But of course, it's the Donald. So that's different. But there really is not a lot of PR value in it because Look, while a target letter says you're the focus of a criminal investigation and the understanding is you're likely headed for indictment, there are cases where targets aren't indicted. So that would, if it was a PR PR point, Smith wouldn't want to make that, give anybody that chance in the ordinary course to say, I sent a target letter telling him he was going to be indicted, but the grand jury decided not to. It's, I think it's, it's ordinary course of a significant investigation. Trump is a private citizen, but he is the former president. He's facing all kinds of trouble. And a target letter in this case seems like just an appropriate procedural step for the prosecutor. It just occurs, that's a great explanation. It just occurs to me because we've speculated on this show previously about whether Jack Smith might have more aces up his sleeve because he has the opportunity to bring charges in Bedminster, New Jersey, because that's where the Trump tapes 
were recorded where he admits on tape, hey, I have these classified documents. I never declassified them. They're super secret and I should not show them to you. Here they are. And so there's a nexus there. And it turns out that speculation has something to it. It's There are sources that are now speaking off the record to journalists and saying, yes, that is something that we're pursuing. And he does have that option up his sleeve if Eileen Cannon, the presiding judge, Trump Nick in the classified documents case in Florida, starts getting up to shenanigans. Although, Paul, you were noting right before we started yeah. recording that it seems like maybe she's trying to play this one straight. There was a 90 minute proceeding yesterday. Walt Nauda, the co-conspirator on the documents case, was present in court. Trump was not. Federal prosecutors pushing for an aggressive trial schedule saying, look, he's just another busy guy. Yeah, he's busy because he has to defend in three different places, but he's just a busy guy. And the presidential election is not a reason to delay. Let's push hard. We're going to give the defense everything they need. And the defense says, not only do we want to delay because of this case, but they intimated that we're going to have to look at all the evidence in all these other cases, and we're going to have to look at a lot of stuff. And so Judge Eileen Cannon, despite her past miscreants, despite being a Trump toady, did not roll over, leap up and down and say to the defense, whatever you guys want, I'm going to do. It sounds like she was thinking about cutting a middle path between what the prosecutors want and what the defense was hoping for so that the, but not on account of the presidential Mm. election. So this trial may start a little later than the prosecutors are pushing for. So this gets us to the million dollar question, Alicia, which is what I wanted to ask was the dumb question that I think I know the answer to, which is, will any of this matter in terms of Trump's standing in the Republican primary? And I'm going to presume that the answer is no, not really. I think the hand-in-hand question that goes with that is our second topic, which is Ron DeSantis's much ballyhooed entry into the presidential campaign. It has not gone well over the last seven weeks. Since he's been a candidate, he has steadily slid in primary polling. And this week, there have been reports emerging. He has what campaigns call an incredible burn rate. He's spending money really rapidly. And he has something like 92 staffers. He's now fired about a dozen of them. And there are major donors who are going on background to reporters and saying that his campaign manager should be fired. So that's what I was referring to earlier, that he was attempting this reboot by going on a mainstream media channel. He usually sticks to right-wing media only and trying to pivot and reignite his campaign. So I guess you're the consumer, you're the target consumer here, Alicia. Two-part question. Why do you think he's fallen flat? And do you think there's still time for him to reignite? Before I answer that, can I go back to the first part when you were asking your question, when you said, will these indictments matter? Yes, please. I mean, I think they do at some point continue to peel off. More importantly, I think the soft Trump supporters, if they see another person that they might go to, they may head in that direction. And I'll get to a new poll that's out in New Hampshire in a moment. But, you know, what I want to say to and I've been 
arguing with people for the last 24 hours about this is the people that think all of this is a witch hunt and this is prosecutorial misconduct and he did nothing wrong. And I always go to the theory of Occam's razor, which to incredibly simplify it means the simplest explanation is usually the true explanation. And I want to say, guys, what is the possibility here? There are two possibilities here. One, there are multiple jurisdictions in this country, in New York, the federal government, Georgia, elsewhere, multiple jurisdictions in this country with dozens of people in each with grand juries full of people in each. So we're talking hundreds of people that have come together with a grand conspiracy to get Donald Trump and no one's talking. They're just there. And they're all working together from across all different parts of the country to make this happen and bring these charges. And everyone on the grand jury, the grand jury members are in on it too, or Donald Trump did something wrong. What is the simplest explanation for all these indictments? And it doesn't rationalize with some of the Trump supporters. But that being said, Look, there's a new poll out in New Hampshire where it has Donald Trump at just 38 percent and Ron DeSantis at 20. I think some of this stuff is moving people. And that was just of Republicans, mind you. The 40 plus percent of independents and undeclares who can vote in the Republican primary were not asked this question. So Ron DeSantis is moving up, I think, a little less about Ron DeSantis because he has made some mistakes in his rollout, particularly that really weird anti-trans video. But I think it's also because people might be getting a little tired. Now, he's never going to lose that 35, 38% of Republicans who are diehard red hat wearing Trump supporters. They're going nowhere, no matter what he does. But if you're talking there's 60% of Republicans alone that are starting to look elsewhere, 20% now to, to Ron DeSantis, he has a path if he stops up and resets. I think that it's telling that the reaction from major Republicans, including Kevin McCarthy, but also presidential contenders or let's call them theoretically they're contenders like Nikki Haley in theory she is running for president she could win I think the reaction is really telling and that includes Ron DeSantis which is they've all heard about the target letter the potential for this added indictment and they have all soft it softballed it they've all come in and said I think I would have acted differently under the circumstances of January 6th but I don't think he should be indicted what a mealy-mouthed piece of crap of an answer. Talk about if the most dominant characteristic that voters are looking for is strong leadership, what does that say about you and your lack of a spine if you say, I might have acted differently? There is a freaking insurrection happening. People are dying at the Capitol. It's like, I've maybe done things a little differently. Let's let bygones be bygones because it's Trump we're talking about. The inability of any of these people, they don't have to pull a full Chris Christie. I don't know what game he's playing, but the inability of any of them to say, yeah, the man committed crimes. Like he he did bad stuff. And if he ends up going to jail, he's a grown ass adult. He has to be responsible for that. They cannot break from the Trump line of, oh, it's your first theory. It's all a deep state conspiracy. And look, most of these people who are Trump supporters are also QAnon people. And the basic theory there is far more outlandish, and I'm not going to repeat it here because it's so disgusting and so despicable, but the basic theory involved in QAnon involves many more people, much more intricacy, and it's one of these self-reinforcing paranoid delusions. And no, I don't think that Occam's razor is going to work on these people, and I don't think that they're going to be persuaded by the idea of, isn't it simpler to just believe that Trump can do some wrong? I think that, again, like if Nikki Haley cannot bring herself, if Ron DeSantis cannot bring himself to say, 
yeah, he did bad things. He should be held responsible. I'm a law and order Republican. And that means for everybody, then they have no business being president. And also they have no chance of coming back in the field. Here's what I don't understand. And Matt, I'm very sad we lost your image because we were so enjoying the Matt in the beach look. All right, I'm coming to you from the beach. And that means that not only <laughs> am I coming to you I don't want to describe wearing a beach appropriate attire. Okay. He's wearing but, what we used to call a wife beater, but I don't think you can say that anymore. It's a um, tank top. It's a tank top. But the thing is, I, we had bad wife, so I, I had to lose the image. All right, fine. All right. Look, fine. let me reference look, let me Chris, reference Christie. Chris Christie first. I think I know exactly what he's I doing. I think I know exactly what he's doing. I don't think he thinks he can run on the platform can... of go after Donald Trump and become president. I think he knows he can do it be on record for history books that he was not in the Donald Trump camp. I think that's smart. And if at some point, whether it's in two years or eight years or six years, whatever it is, he can get a Republican administration job when it's someone other than Donald Trump. As for the, you know, what you referred to mealy mouth responses by the Nikki Haley's of the world. Here's what I don't understand. Forget the Occam's razor theory. You're right. That's not going to work on them. They all know. He's done bad things, whether it rises to 37 char federal charges or not. I don't know. But they all know he's done bad things. And they're afraid to speak out against him because they're afraid of the election or what will happen with the electorate, the response they'll get when it comes to their own votes, which makes no sense to me. Because do some math, guys. Donald within the Republican Party is well below 50 percent, below 50 percent. And in all the early states when he won in twenty six in the 2016 cycle, he never got above 50% until several other candidates dropped out. This is someone who has never had the majority support of Republicans when there were multiple candidates in the field. Never. So why end up and say, all right, let's take New Hampshire, for instance. He's got 38% of the support. That means 62% of Republicans do not want him elected as president. Go with the majority and denounce Donald Trump, the majority of Republicans, let alone people who are independents or undeclareds or softies who may be unhappy with the economy. I know you hate that term, softies, who may be unhappy with Joe Biden and the economy right now. If you're really saying what you're saying just to protect your own votes, go where the numbers are. The numbers are anti-Trump at this point. What are you afraid of? Let's take a break. We'll be right back. I have an answer. It's not it's because I agree with you, but the answer is it's not just what people's preferences are. It's preference times your likelihood of voting. And the calculus that I'm sure all of these smart campaign operatives are making is it's true that Trump enjoys the support of a minority of Republican voters, but among Republican primary voters, who are likely to vote in a Republican primary, he may enjoy majority support. Does that make some sense? It's all the Republicans, you see this all the time, polling of all voters, all registered voters, and it shows one result. But then when you say, hold on, what if we look at just the people who are likely to actually show up and vote? Because we're including all kinds of people who may have opinions, but what does it matter if they don't actually show up and vote on those opinions? Then you see a different outcome when you look at likely voters. I would bet you that if you looked at, and I'm sure the internal polling work of these campaigns is suggesting to them, if we go with likely voters, there are not enough voters left in the pie for us to overcome Trump. And it's particularly a problem when you have such a large field. If this were just Tim Scott and Trump, just Nikki Haley and Trump, just Ron DeSantis and Trump, 
they there might be enough among likely voters. That's, I think, the theory. I think that's the explanation. Whether they're right, I don't know, because what you're really suggesting, Alicia, is that this is, they're all playing Trump's game. They're all trying to out-Trump Trump. They're all trying to win the primary to be Donald Trump. And that is a Goliath strategy. And they need a David strategy. If they're trying to play the Trump game, they're going to lose because no one's going to out-Trump Trump. So what they need is a David strategy. And Chris Christie may be just in this for his next like Fox News gig or for 2028 or what have you. But if you're Nikki Haley at this point, I think you have a better likelihood of playing an outsider game, like mixing it up, have a David strategy. I think, look, let's look at 2016 in New Hampshire first. Like you reference it, not only because I live here, but because it is the first in the nation in primary. About 250,000 people in New Hampshire pulled a Republican ballot. 80 to 90,000 of those were undeclared. They weren't Republicans. They were unenrolled. That is a huge number. And Donald Trump got 35% because it was such a wide field. Look, the field will winnow down before the primary vote in January. And so you look for your path. What is the path? The path is to get the vast majority of that 60 to 65% that didn't vote for Donald Trump four years ago. And if they didn't vote for Donald Trump four years ago, they're certainly not going to vote for him now in a primary. And we know the field a little bit. It doesn't have to be one-on-one, but there are enough votes. And focus on those 80 to 90,000 independents. You get 50% of those independents because you put yourself up there as that Republican. You can beat Donald Trump. And that's where the focus and strategic focus should be. And instead, they're all running to appease the vast minority of the Republican Party, which leaves Republicans like me going, so where do I go? Because if you're out here defending Donald Trump, you're not talking to me. You're not talking to my fellow 60% of Republicans in New Hampshire. And that's what a candidate needs to wisely do. You don't have to Chris Christie on Donald Trump. You can just ignore the guy. He's just another opponent in this race. And don't know what they're not seeing. Here's, I also don't know what McCarthy, McConnell, and Lindsey Graham are seeing. Look at the numbers, guys. You're Republicans. All right, Lindsey Graham, you got to run in South Carolina. But nonetheless, the minority of Republicans support Donald Trump. Can you imagine if the three of those guys got together and held a press conference and said, all right, enough's enough. We've got to move on for the good of the country. Not accusing Donald Trump of anything. Don't know what he did or didn't do. Not indicting him ourselves. Just saying, I think the chaos has gone on too much. We're ready to move on. That would be a massive shift in this country, which goes with the majority, not just of the country, but of Republicans. And they've got to stop looking at whatever stupid numbers they're looking at and look at the real ones. Hey, can I just give you, can can I insert a complete off-topic breaking news item? Yes, but let me, yes, you can. Let me just quickly, I'll give an answer to Alicia real quick on why Lindsey Graham, and I don't know who else you listed off there, don't do that. The reason with Lindsey Graham is he's chicken shit. But beyond that, the reason is, look at Lindsey Graham's last race. He ran against Jamie Harrison. Jamie Harrison was about as like as a candidate, I don't mean as a man, he's a very good looking man, but he was about as attractive a candidate as you could want as a Democrat in South Carolina. And he was extremely well-funded and he's extraordinarily smart and able as a politician. And Lindsey Graham beat him by 15 points. The biggest threat to Lindsey Graham's continued political future and ability to inhabit the Senate until the day he dies is that eventually he loses a primary. And what he's thinking to himself is, why borrow trouble? It's not a profiles and courage race here. It's a, I just need to survive. And the best way for him to survive is I'm not going to court a primary. And you know what? It may be a vocal minority of the Republican Party that is diehard Trump people. But in South Carolina, these are people who could 
form a serious knot of opposition to me in a primary. I could get called a rhino. I could find myself facing some kind of well-funded multimillionaire. And all of a sudden, I could lose my carefully protected Senate seat. Why take the risk? Why take the chance? What's in it for me? That's the reason you don't see Lindsey Graham and any of these other knuckleheads standing up and coming together and trying to do something good for the country. Paul, what do you want to insert? Benunu is not going to run for governor of New Hampshire again. That's so breaking news. That is breaking news. And it's also interesting in terms of what it means for presidential politics, because at the same time, or just prior to announcing a, a that apparently he's not running for governor, he announced that he was going to take a trip to the southern border to check up on things. So clearly he wants to keep his national profile elevated. Clearly, although he said he's not running for president, he's not going to run for governor. It's a pretty, it's fascinating. Maybe maybe he's gearing up to run for the U.S. Senate when that comes around. Maybe. There isn't a U.S. Senate seat here in New Hampshire in 2024, so that's taking quite the time and, off. And he would have had the best possible opportunity last time around when he I refused know. to run, and that led to Maggie Hassan getting elected over Don Baldock by nine solid points. I know. How about CNN talking head in the making? It, There's uh, family money. There's family money. The Sununus, I don't think they need that, do they? Just Chris I don't Sununu think need they the need money? it, but once someone, and you guys all know I'm a huge fan of Chris Sununu, I don't think he needs the money, but some people like to be in the spotlight. And there's a lucrative and fun way to be in the spotlight. Imagine doing what you and I, the three of us do every week, every day for a whole lot of cash. I'd take that gig in a heartbeat. On that note, there is an opportunity <laughs> to go to our Patreon page for the Blue Amp channel and support us over there. And of course, if you subscribe to this show, then the good advertisers who, who do pay us some money, they reach a larger audience and that helps us. So if you want to support us, subscribe to Beyond Politics and check out the Patreon page. That is interesting breaking news, Paul. I, I, I'm with your, I don't know, Occam's razor, Alicia, Occam's razor. Like why, why do those two things in the same breath? Why I just, it's like a Brian Windhorst moment. It's like, why would he do that? Very well, I mean, interesting set of moves. Maybe he he's going to change his mind and run for pres. Maybe he's positioning himself as a VP candidate. Maybe he's going to be a talking head. I have no idea what his plans are, but it is going to be fascinating. He said he wanted to be a national referee within the Republican Party. The well-liked and long-tenured mayor of Manchester, the biggest city in New Hampshire, Joyce Craig, is running for governor. It's possible that he's hearing some footsteps. Paul Alicia, this is just a New Hampshire tilt on our way out, but does this mean that the Democrat, Joyce Craig, now is going to have the inside track to become the next governor of New Hampshire? We've got Joyce Craig and there's Cindy Warmington, oh, yes. uh, an executive oh, yes. counselor who probably has a little lower name recognition. But among Democrats, she, Cindy, I'm staying out of the race, by the way, for now. I've told both candidates I'm staying out. And it may be that that Cindy, who has been a little more aggressive as an executive counselor than Joyce Craig has been as mayor of Manchester, Cindy, in terms of the progressive Democrats who make up the primary primary voting base, it's going to be it's interesting. You have the a mayor of a large city, and then you have a very a high profile only Democratic executive counselor who has really achieved a lot. It, it's a I think that's going to be a very interesting race for Democrats. And on the Republican side, my old nemesis Kelly Ayotte, I think, has been waiting in the wings. She's probably made a 
boatload of money serving on various boards, at least the little that I can tell about my ears to the Republican ground, I think a lot of people, I think people are going to start calling Kelly pretty quickly. Kelly Ayotte, former U.S. Senator, Chuck Morse, former New Hampshire, former U.S. Senator, uh, Senate President, former New Hampshire, Frank Edelblue, Senate President, who in the primary Frank years ago by less than two points, I think. It's going to be a really solid who we nominate as to whether he or she can be one of the two Democratic women running. But let's not forget, I always laugh when a mayor of Manchester runs for higher office. Some do him right, like former Congressman Frank Ginta. Others do not, because in the state of New Hampshire, there's this huge misnomer that the largest city, Manchester, anyone pays attention to outside of Manchester and greater Manchester. No one does. I live on the seacoast. It's only 40 minutes from Manchester. I never go to Manchester. If I weren't involved in politics, I wouldn't tell you who the mayor was. Wouldn't have known. And so mayors of Manchester tend to make that enormous mistake thinking that they already have name ID and they don't, which is why it's very difficult to go too much further unless they recognize that. Thanks for the inside view on what's shaping up to be a fascinating and high profile race. And on that note, we're going to have to leave it there. For Paul and Alicia, I'm Matt Robeson. We will see you next time.